Hey, Cold Podcast. Right off the Nailed bat. Nailed it. <laughs> hey, Cold Podcast listeners. This is a future Armando and future Andrea. Oh, hi, guys. And uh, we are again coming to you from uh, Louisiana, New Orleans to be specific, where we have had an amazing time um, just learning about all of the incredible death and awful that's happened here, including the special Manson exhibit at the Museum of Death here in New Orleans. It's been super great. Uh, Just wanted to let you guys know that if you're still celebrating Black Friday or Cyber Monday, we got one hell of a deal for you going on. You can get the Om Shinrikyo Cult Podcast poster. It's our first piece of merch. It's available online at our store, which is www.cultpodcastshow.com slash store. Or you can go to our website, cultpodcastshow.com, and find the store. Uh, the Om Shinrikyo poster is a limited run, hand-pulled screen print. Uh, there's only about 50 of them that are going to be available. Um, they're absolutely amazing. Once you order them, all of the orders should ship out by December 12th. So that way you can have them in your home. If you want to freak out all your relatives that are visiting or give somebody literally the weirdest Christmas gift that's ever been given. You can, again, find those posters are $15 plus shipping and they are available online at our store, coltpodcastshow.com slash store. Uh, yeah. So without further ado, enjoy the show. Bye. Bye. It's better with Paige. Hmm. Cold Podcast features adult themes and graphic descriptions of violence. Listener discretion is advised. Now please, enjoy the show. Don't drink the For the purposes of this podcast, we define a cult as organizations that rally behind an entity or leader who espouse beliefs outside the norm, organizations that require physical or monetary sacrifice as a condition of membership, organizations in which the doctrines followed by the leaders are different than that of the followers, organizations in which isolation is encouraged either by commune living or by a policy of disconnection from outside relationships, and organizations that actively recruit new members. All cults might have some or all of these traits, and as always... These are our opinions. Thank you for tuning into Cult Podcast. I'm Paige Wesley. And I'm Armando Torres. And with us we have... Andre Gasseta! Yay! And it is Manson Week 3. It's Manson's Week! Are you tired of Charles Manson yet? I am. Are you? (laughs) I've been reading about nothing else. I don't think I can get tired of Charles Manson. It's so batshit crazy. That's true. It is crazy. Are there more dune buggies in this one? This is where the dune buggies start to come in. They're mostly going to be in in episode four. I'm so excited. Hell yeah. So I, in preparation for this episode, have listened to nothing but the White Album at work. Which, by the way, don't do that. I was sober. It still put me in a bad mood. Um, Is this the Beatles album? This is the Beatles album. I don't like the Beatles. I'm sorry. What? Yeah. What? Unpopular opinion. Fuck the Beatles. I don't like most of their music. I'm just like, it's fine, but I'm just Is this the thing where, like, someone has forced it upon you? Because I find that different Beatles eras sound completely different. No, here's the thing. My stepdad likes the Beatles, and then my I worked with this dude in a gallery, and he loved the Beatles. Mm-hmm. And that anytime it was his turn to play music, that's all he played. Oh, and I was just annoying. like... 
I don't care. Like, I don't like it. I don't think it's that great. It's fine, but I don't care. <laughs> Andrea like, also hates Father John Misty. I don't hate him. I'm, I'm ambivalent on Father John I'm just Misty, kind of like, so I feel you on that. This is not my jam, per se, like and I don't get why it's everyone's favorite shit. I feel that way about Father John Misty, except I feel like I'll at some point, we're going to find out that he totally molested a bunch of girls. and has been Why is it. everyone saying that? He sounds like a child molester. He's got no. the... Not, not a child. I mean, like, girls. Like, I, I mean, I mean like, like... women? Like women, yes. Okay. I mean, like, we're going to find out that he was, like, terrible to groupies and all kinds of shit. Because he has the vibe. No. Like, if I met him in real life, I'd be like, get me the fuck away from that dude. Because he is no good. He's happily he married. He me out. Yeah, no, he free- he gets the freakiest vibes. But straight up, I like Father John Misty's music so much more than the Beatles. I don't like the Beatles. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you're going to have to listen to a lot of Beatles in oh, this episode. God. It's very important to the story. Um, I I grew up in a Beatles household. I feel like you, you're typically an Elvis household or a Beatles household. I grew up in a cockroach household. Uh, I grew up in a Red Hot Chili Peppers and Annie Lennox household. Ew. The fuck? I mean, that's awesome, but... <laughs> I like the Chili Peppers. I also mm. like Annie Lennox. I fucking love Annie Lennox. It is a problem. <laughs> I'm a Windows a guy She's myself. Great. What? I'm a Windows guy myself. What's that? Because Linux is an operating system. Oh, Fuck it's not off. spelled the same. That is for three of you. <laughs> Mondo, so was it Elvis or Beatles in your house or was it Big Daddy Kane? Ah, uh, that's funny. But no, we... <laughs> We really listened. I mean, like, my mom grew up on all types of music. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something I don't really get into. My mom and grandmother were both uh, music reviewers. Okay. And they, like, so they did a lot of stuff where they, like, wrote reviews for music. Right. And then later, uh, when I was a kid, a big thing in my mom's life was that her and my grandmother wrote a blog about music. Right. And my grandmother's favorite music is indie music. Of all different types. Okay. Uh, my mom likes a lot of alternative rock. So, actually, if I had to boil it down, I grew up in a Radiohead family. Okay. Okay. But my mom is the one who introduced me to a lot of different types of hip hop. And my mom listened to uh, NWA when she was a kid. But growing up, I listened to a lot of like Radiohead and alternative rock. I was like big, big into like Postal Service and um, shit so like that. So sad boy music. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a sad boy. <laughs> I think my grandma said she may have gone to a Beatles concert, if I'm remembering correctly. I don't. I don't remember. Uh, she said something about that, though. I don't. I don't think that they hated the Beatles. I just think that uh, we didn't. We grew up in a. Both of my everyone in my childhood like new music. Mm. I grew up. I'm I'm ten years older than you. That's true. That's fair. <laughs> so my parents are at least ten years older than your parents. Probably a little bit more. Uh, maybe my mom is 40. Oh, shit. Uh, my parents are in their 60s. Uh, okay. <laughs> or turning 60. My, my my dad's in his late 50s. My mom, I think, is turning 60 this year. My parents are closer to Paige's age. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um. So for my parents, the Beatles, they listened to the Beatles the first time around. Yeah. It was their music. Um. In 1964, my mom would have been five, so she would have watched them on the Ed Sullivan show, which we played in the first episode. Um. My dad is a huge Beatles fan. Hold on, wait. In 1965, your mom was five? 1964. 1964, your mom mom was was five. five. Okay, my grandma was 14. Jesus Christ. 
So that's where we're at. <laughs> that would make sense that your grandma went to a Beatles concert. Yeah, that's what I mean. Is mm-hmm. that like I I think I remember that, but I'm not sure. Yeah, and for my parents, um, my mom's my mom and dad are both huge Beatles fans. Again, because it was the music of the time. Um, when I graduated from high school and got my own turntable my mom gave me a lot of her Beatles albums so I have originals what's your favorite Rubber Soul was my favorite okay which is it's a middling time for the Beatles it's like they've started fighting but they're not making pop music anymore Mm -hmm. Um, I actually I have some of this pulled up already because we're going to play it later Rubber Soul is one of those albums that a lot of people like the music on it but I think that they don't realize that they're on it's on this album I'll be, they think it's either earlier or later. I'll be totally honest. I grew up a lot on hip-hop and alternative rock, so mm-hmm. I don't know the Beatles very well. I know the hits, because everyone knows the hits. Um, and I know uh, I know of Paul McCartney because of his work with the infamous Kanye. <laughs> I'm kidding. Great. I'm Great. kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but, but, like, I didn't... I'm not a huge Beatles fan, so, like, what what songs are on there? So, this is kind of their alt-rock period, if you want to think about it. So, they started off doing pop. So, um, the Beatles have, in my mind, at least three distinct eras. There's their early work, which is very pop and typical of the time. Uh, there's the middle era, which is where Rubber Soul falls, that is a little more... Alt-rock for the time, there wasn't a lot like it. It influences so many artists. If you like any kind of Ben Folds, Elvis Costello-y stuff, that is very heavily influenced by middle-era Beatles. And then the final era of Beatles is psychedelic as hell. It it hits the fan hard. They found drugs. They found so many drugs. And also transcendental meditation. Hell yeah, dude. And then there's a scene after that where it's uh, Paul McCartney working with Kanye West. That's, Why are we ignoring that's it? That's way later. And it has nothing to do with the Manson family. But if you remember, one of the things that Charles Manson would have heard in prison um, when he was in jail would have been this. So, um, I Want to Hold Your Hand, which we played on the first episode. Um, All My Loving, which is super famous, comes from the same era. Same with Love Me Do, Please Please Me, She Loves You. Those are all that first two, three, four albums. And they were putting out albums once, sometimes twice a year. Oh shit! Wow, that's impressive. Hardcore. That's like some rapper type shit. For real. But again, most of these are kind of rudimentary lyrics. Nothing crazy going on as far as production. It's pop music. Then, as we get into the middle era of the Beatles, which is more kind of alt rock they're paying a lot more attention to their music they're getting more invested in their writing this is where you kind of start to see them go into writing songs about themselves and about what was happening in their lives like rubber soul has a song called norwegian wood Mm -hmm. which um i believe is about john lennon cheating on his wife damn yikes yeah 
hardcore um but they're beautiful songs um probably one of my favorites is in my life which is again super famous mm-hmm. um michelle which is half in french for no good goddamn reason um girl super famous i'm looking through you again super famous Then we get to the White Album. I need a fix cause I'm going down, down to the bits that I left uptown. I need a fix cause I'm going down. Mother Superior jumped the gun. 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 So this came out in late. You know what? Let's get to it later. Okay. This is late era Beatles, but it's going to be the most important Beatles for what we're talking about today. Okay. But first, let's get into why it's important to Charles Manson Mm -hmm. and how it becomes important to Charles Manson. So Charlie was able to transfer his parole officer to Los Angeles. Okay. Because he's still been meeting his parole officer this entire time. Oh, you mean... He transferred to a new parole officer. Exactly, yes. Okay. Yes. No, he's not like, you're moving to Los Angeles now. Hey, Becky Bags, Ned, we go into the city of angels. Because what it's been kind of hard to see as we go through these other two episodes, there's so much happening. It's a very short period of time. Okay, really quick. So in the last episode, he basically kidnapped a 15-year-old girl and had sex with her. Yes. Wouldn't that be an insane parole violation? He only got 30 days in jail for that? He only got like 30 days in jail for it. That's crazy. Yeah. Because it's technically rape because she's a minor. Because she's a minor. Yeah. Like that's. Well, I guess she would have to like press charges though. Her parents would have to press charges. And I don't know that they did on the statutory rape. I think they may have only pressed it on him taking her. But again, if she's like, I went willingly like... They can only kind of charge for some stuff. It's it's a weird one. That's and that comes into play yeah. a little bit later here too. Also, her dad was like way into Charlie. So. Yeah, that That's again weird. comes up. Yeah. So um, he and it, like I say that he transfers parole officers. Um, it's only 1968. He's only been out of jail for a year and some change. Wow. 
So all of this has happened in maybe a year. All of last episode happened in one year? All of the last two episodes. Well, I guess the, the end of the first episode, the last episode all what? happened in one year. Yeah. That's insane. <laughs> he gets out of jail in 67 and the murders happen in 69. This is a two <laughs> year period. Like when we look at like Om Shinrikyo, we're looking at like 20 years. When we looked at the Moonies, we're looking at 40 and 50 years. Yeah. To think that as much of an impact is had by this group in two years is crazy. That's so insane. Also, a lot of other bad things have happened in a 69. <laughs> I mean, a lot. <laughs> it's just uncomfortable for everybody. Somebody's going to get a cramp. One person always has their face in somebody's butt. Yeah. Yeah, they do. <laughs> anyway, um, so Manson packed everyone into the van and took them down to Los Angeles. Now, back in prison, one of his prison friends had told him that he had a connection at Universal and that he could get him set up for a recording session. And that was completely legit, right? It turned out to be completely legit. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So his prison buddy actually came through and got him a session with Stromberg, who was one of the producers at the time. Um, But it was a disaster. Charlie wasn't polished. He didn't really know how to work in a studio. Which, I mean, we kind of touched on in the last episode. It's incredibly hard to record things well, even when people know what they're doing. Oh, look at this. This is a bing-bong machine. And he's just, like, hammering he a piano. He was just kind of, like, nervous and didn't really know what to do. And, I mean, like, if you think back even to the first episodes of this podcast where we didn't know what to do and had never really done it before, uh-huh. compare it to now, huge difference. But now he's only got this one shot to try and make it work and to try and, oh, yeah, and plus, make his way. I am a nightmare in the studio. All right? No one knows. It's just mainly the farting. Yeah. And the burping. Um, so the recording session was a flop, but the studio happened to be making a movie about Jesus and wanted Charlie to advise. What? <laughs> yes. Oh, because he's a like a religious Because person? he's like a guru. Now, the movie never got made, but their pitch for this movie was to have Jesus be black and the Romans be played by modern day Southern rednecks. Oh, fuck. Fuck yeah. yeah I know. It was never made, which is kind of a bummer. But I was like, that sounded amazing. This is also um, a part of the story where Charlie claims he was doing a lot of sexual favors for famous people. I can't verify that. It's incredibly hard to verify. Um, yeah, it's when I sucked Mark Hamill's dick. I mean... He Called like, it his lightsaber. If you, if you were to ask Jesus. Charlie... <laughs> oh, God. This all, that's also the wrong era. I don't even think he's alive at this point. Yeah, suck little Mark Hamill's dick. Gross. Super gross. Um, no, he was like... Allegedly... I looked at him in the eye and he said, I am your daddy. Oh... Allegedly, he was sleeping with a bunch of famous people's wives for money. Oh, what? Why? Wow. Well, for so money? he's also a gigolo. He, yeah. Well, in, in his mind, he's like, I'll give her the love. I don't give a shit. Sure, it's $500. Like, crazy. I ain't a pussy for $500 this freaking. Exactly. But again, as I can't f- verify As a famous rich man, I would pay $500 for somebody else to eat my wife's pussy. It's Why? too much work. It's a lot of effort. It's a lot of it. <laughs> Okay, but and plus, if you have what I can assume is the human version of a cigarette butt just going down on you, at the end of it, you're going to come to me and you're going to be like, "I never want that to happen again." Okay, but that's ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> just suck it up. 
That's... Don't be a DJ Khaled. <laughs> ain't no fat man telling me who he ain't eating. Yeah, DJ Khaled was actually one of my best customers. He and his wife's pussy all the time. Dude, that's my favorite Nicki Minaj line, by that the way. That is the best it's Nicki Minaj so line. so good. Anyways. Um, so at this point, Charlie and his group, they have unsuccessfully had their recording session. But they want to stay in L.A. because Charlie still thinks that he's got a chance. And in order to do so, they needed a place to stay. And the spiral staircase in Topanga Canyon fit that bill. Okay. So the spiral staircase was a notorious drug den in Topanga Canyon. It was like a party mansion. Okay. And it was so famous that people actually named bands after it. So one of my favorite songs as a kid, as we covered on the last episode, uh, we only listened to oldies growing up was by Spiral Staircase, it's this. So it's kind of funny to think of that as being like drug fueled crazy antics. I mean, it kind of. I couldn't remember what day. It is. <laughs> too busy smoking, too much LSD. That's not how you do it. See, that's how you know I had I never have. Yeah, and then I was injected with three weeds, and I had an <laughs> overdose. One time, I decided to do a heroin. Um, so. The Spiral Staircase was always full of tons of bands, tons of drugs. Frank Zappa was always there. Neil Young was always there. Um, Charlie was kind of wary of staying, though, because he was worried about the girls becoming influenced by the other people there. Influenced by, you mean, they'd be like, oh, we could fuck these other dudes and exactly. they will make us fuck everyone? This would oh be Oh, my God. We could be fucking the Beach Boys? Why are we here? Yeah. Oh, what? Just because they got money and a house and power and fame and good music and they shower and their balls don't smell all the time just because of those many things? <laughs> exactly. I got a van. What do you what more do you want? What more do you want from me? I got a van that cost me a piano. <laughs> So, uh, the Spiral Staircase was a great place for them to meet and recruit male members of the family, though. As we covered in the last episode, they'd had some trouble doing that, and they needed guys to kind of fill the ranks to work, if that makes sense. Uh, they met at the Spiral Staircase Bobby Boussoulet and Gary Hinman, who we mentioned in the last episode, who had worked on Kenneth Anger's Lucifer Rising. Um, Gary was an experienced drug dealer. Bobby was kind of just a ne'er-do-well, but they were both super down with getting close to all the girls that Manson had. <laughs> yes. Did, were they allowed to also have sex with them? So that's kind of the thing. Charlie would let people get close enough to make them do the things he wanted. So I would imagine that, yes, there was some sex going on, but mm -hmm. he's kind of the main guy. Okay. Where it's kind of like the Source family where it's like, a bunch of people are all having sex with each other, but you all also have sex with the main dude. Okay. Yeah. Um, they also kind of bounced around from multiple houses in Topanga. They would, like, meet famous people at the spiral staircase and then crash at their house for, like, a week. And then meet new famous people, crash at their house, and just leave horrible destruction in their wake. Because now it's not just, like, 
Manson and a handful of girls. Now it's like 15, 20 people. Mm-hmm. It's pretty rough. What a like what a weird pitch though. It's just like you are a famous person, you throw a party, and then these people just stay for a week. It's weird. Well, and kind of the way they got away with it is that they've got all these girls, they've usually got drugs with them. And so the party just continues. Including what might be known as the best acid. Right, because they do have some of Owsley's acid. And so essentially it, it becomes this like the party keeps going, keeps going, keeps going. Until finally someone's like, I just want to sleep. <laughs> Can you leave? And then they have to find a new house. Ain't no party like a Manson party because a Manson party ends with murder. A lot of murder. murder. Yeah, I'm a bad guy. Now, one of the people that let them stay the longest, though, and arguably the most notable, one of the most important to the story, is Beach Boys drummer Dennis Wilson. They met him at the Spiral Staircase uh, because he was a party monster and was at every major party in Los Angeles. If there was a party, he was going to be in it. And they began to stay at his house where they quickly started eating him out of house and home. Um, Dennis also... Yeah. Mostly pussy. Eating mostly him mostly pussy. out eating of pussy. house and pussy. Charles, you've eaten all my pussy. <laughs> well, Charles was bringing the pussy. So it was like they... Yeah. It's like, who left this out? <laughs> who left the pussy out? Who? It's starting to spoil. I'm not comfortable. Gross. <laughs> Uh, Dennis also introduced Charlie to Terry Melcher, who was an up-and-coming record producer and was wildly successful. Um, So he kind of paved way potentially for Charlie to get another shot at recording his album. So let's talk about Dennis Wilson for a little bit and where he comes from, and Terry Melcher. So in the early 60s, um, Terry Melcher, who was the son of Doors Day, um, and Dennis Wilson and Dean Martin Jr., also known as Dino. Whoa. They basically ran Los Angeles. They did whatever the fuck they wanted and nobody stopped them. There are stories about them stealing guns and just shooting out streetlights as they drove down the street because they fucking wanted to and the cops weren't going to do fucking anything about it. Because they were, like, famous? Because they were famous as hell. Jesus. That's so weird. Dennis uh, rented... Sorry. Dennis rented a log cabin lodge at the far west end of Sunset. Terry Melcher and his girlfriend at the time, uh, Candace Bergen. Mm-mm, I don't know. Fucking famous actress. Oh, okay. Yeah. If you looked her up, you'd be like, oh my God. Um, they rented a house at the top of Cielo Drive. That house is going to be important later because it is the site of the murders. Oh, neat. Yeah. One of the sites of the murders. Um, it was in this house in which he offered Ruth Ann a job as a maid because he liked the look of her and he wanted her around more often. And Charlie at first seemed okay with loaning his girls out, but not too far out of his grasp. He wanted Ruth Ann to get in good with Terry Melcher so that he could record his album again, but he also didn't want her too far away because then he might lose control over her. So he didn't want people to kind of gravitate too far out of his orbit. Uh, whoever they brought in would pass a sexual initiation. Mm. They targeted Dee Dee Lansbury, Angela Lansbury's daughter. Um, in 1968, their numbers swelled to 20 plus members, quickly outgrowing Dennis's house. Uh, during this time at Wilson's house, they also met Charles Tex Watson, a former small town tra- Texas druggie who owned a who worked in a wig shop, but was straight allegedly. Okay. Because apparently in the 60s, like, wigs were a straight man's game, which is... I don't even understand that. I didn't realize it wasn't a straight man's game now. It is so much not. Oh. Okay. I was under the impression that it was a woman's game. 
I mean, vanity, wigs by vanity is kind of a big deal. Oh, okay. But What's that? It's a lot of gay guys making wigs. Hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. That's yeah, for dope. drag queens. Because that's more like, I mean, it's like straight women who make wigs for Orthodox Jewish women who wear wigs instead of hats. What? What? Do you guys not know about that? No. no. I Okay, so I lived in mid-city in a Jewish neighborhood for a long time. And in very Orthodox Jewish faith, your head is supposed to be covered. That's why men wear the yarmulkes or the big furry hats or the big like top hats. Mm-hmm. But for women, it's not always feasible to wear hats all the time. So they'll wear wigs, but the wigs just look like normal hairstyles. Huh. That's But ridiculous. they all look like the same hairstyle. Oh. Because a bunch of my... When I worked for Sir Latab in Mid-City, all of my biggest customers were Jewish. And they all had wigs and it was like the same cut, but different colors. It was really interesting. That's really strange. What's the cut look like? What it's is... the Rachel, basically. <laughs> it's basically the Rachel. Weird. But yeah, but they're very realistic. Like, it it would take me a few times of working with a customer for me to know if it was a wig or not. Like, they, they pass hardcore. It just seems like so much work to be... Like, because what they're doing is they've created a loophole. Yeah. To covering their hair. Right. Yeah, I'd honestly just lie. I'd just be yeah. like, yeah, I got a really good wig. And I'm gonna... Right? Wouldn't you? I mean, you can kind of tell the difference. It's so dumb. Anyway. Um, anyway, that and drag queens are like your main wig markets. These okay. Um, so, well, and black women, right? Yes, but slightly different. Okay. Because black women will sometimes wear a lace front or what's, a fall. What's that? Lace front wigs are wigs that have like a mesh at the front that you can blend into your skin so it looks like you have a normal hairline. Oh. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Or Sorry. they will wear weaves that are either sewn or braided in. Sorry, B. He's giving me a look of like, why do you keep asking questions about wigs? <laughs> this, this podcast is not about wigs. It could be. I just have so many wig questions. Anyways, I, please continue. Yeah, no worries. Um, oh, boy. He wasn't the only I'm male. I'm going to wig out. Oh. No. Get out of here. Boo. Uh, he wasn't the only male recruit, though. Dean Morehouse, Ruth Ann's father, followed by Brooks Poston. They got just enough contact with the girls to keep them bringing in money for the family. How? You're a father, and your daughter joins a sex cult. And then you join right after. And you, do you fuck your daughter? Oh, God, I hope not. Is that, I mean, like, how are you just, like, super chill with your daughter being pimped out? Like, I will also join this cult. Yeah, I have no idea. Um, Charlie wanted Dennis Wilson to join the family full time, but he refused. And he started gradually pulling away from the family and hinted that they should probably be moving on. Uh, Charlie assigned a now pregnant Susan Adkins the task of searching up north um, in Northern California for a place for the family to stay. But they botched the mission. They rented a house uh, in the boonies out of Mendocino County. And they immediately attracted the scrutiny of parents and cops who claimed that their children were being given drugs from the hippie house. Probably. Yeah. They were 100% being giving out drugs. Um, which also, don't give the drugs out. We have to sell the drugs. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, it's hard to think on that kind of diet where you're only eating meat. Uh, meat, no carbs, and LSD. That's the Susan Atkins diet, right? Hey! No carbs and a lot of LSD. Oh, God. 
So Charlie sent Bobby Boussoulet to find out what was happening. And on the way, he picked up a teenager, although she was like 19, Leslie Van Houten from Monrovia, not far from where we're at right oh, now. Oh, that's the same last name as the... Uh, as, uh, Millhouse. Yeah, Millhouse. Yeah. Um, Leslie Van Houten loved LSD and weed and had gotten into sex early. She'd run off to the hate initially um, as like a 15 or 16 year old and gotten pregnant and her mother had forced her to have an abortion. Oh. So she was looking for almost any way to get away from home at this point. Jesus. I just imagine it's Bill, right? Is his name the guy? Who's the guy? Bobby Boussoulet. Bobby. That's what it is. Yeah. I just imagine Bobby rolling up on a on a teenage girl and rolling down the window and being like, hey, you like acid and weed? And yeah. then she was just like, yeah, my mom's a bitch. And she's, he's she's just like, like get, get on in. in. Get on in. <laughs> Sad girls. We'll take mad girls. <laughs> so meanwhile, they had long worn out their welcome at Dennis's house. Regardless... Uh, Dennis offered to contact Stephen Despar to help record Charlie's al- album. And it was a shit show. It was all kinds of, like, he was trying to bring the whole family in and have the girls singing, but they didn't really play instruments and no one had really rehearsed songs correctly. And Charlie kept complaining that microphones looked like dicks. And he'd also never been in a studio before. It was a catastrophe. It looks phallic. You get it near my mouth, I don't want it. It looks like a big old juicy beautiful luxurious <laughs> penis great great but this is where we get a lot of these tracks from yeah and i mean it uh, one thing that you should totally listen to uh one of my favorite songs off of the album that they record like the recordings that we have is a recording for look at your game girl and in the background of charlie playing guitar and singing you hear somebody playing guitar uh bongos and drums yeah but they're not necessarily on beat or following a pattern yeah because they they have and remember charlie doesn't even really know how to read music he just learned how to play guitar yeah so he doesn't really he's not good at writing songs no like he's managed to write passable songs but he can't write for the rest of a band no and especially if you listen to the music from the uh if you listen to the music as far as like talent goes um you can get away with not being that good of a musician if what you're doing is really ambitious or powerful or unique right but he is neither of those things and he's also bad at music yeah he's still a man out of time yeah he's playing early beatles and we're in alternative rock beatles yeah yeah so they needed to get out of dennis's house especially after that recording didn't go well so they made an arrangement with an old man in the desert that they stayed with during some of their road trips this is how they moved to spawn ranch and that man old ben kenobi (laughs) spawn ranch is where charlie began to hone his velocity with the help of the newly released white album (sighs) so let's talk about the white album this is this is we're gonna did you say you like this one a lot or we're gonna spend a lot of time on this one? we're gonna spend a lot of time on this one because so this it's is important a, this is a real uh white album supremacist episode in a way yes yikes so uh the uh. beatles is the actual name of the the album is just the beatles uh it's known as the white album because it's just white there's nothing else on the front of the album in part it was supposed to be kind of a contrast to their previous album sergeant peppers which is like 
fucking everything all on the cover of one album. Yeah. It looks like uh, a class photo for your acid trip. A hundred percent. And that song, I mean, that album is very psychedelic as well, but mm-hmm. it's very happy. The White Album, contrastingly, is very dark, where it's considered to be one of the best albums ever made, but it's made at a very scary time in history and for the Beatles. So... It was released November 22nd, which is right around the time that this episode's going to come out. Uh, November 1968. It's a double album. There's two discs. Um, And it's split. It's one of those albums where I feel like any band has this album right before they break up. Where you've got two creative forces, and in this case, two and a half, if you want to count George. Creative. Don't forget about Ringo. We're all going to forget Everyone about Ringo. Everyone forgets about Ringo. Um, one of my favorite quotes about Ringo is someone asked John Lennon if Ringo was the best drummer in the world, and he said he's not even the best drummer in the Beatles. <laughs> Don't talk about Paul Best. Only talk about Ringo. <laughs> exactly. Pete I'm Best. Ring- Pete Best. <laughs> yeah. I don't really need to remember that. I'm Ringo. Ringo. Um, but so you've got John and Paul each with their own agendas for the album. Don't forget about Ringo. We will. Uh, And those agendas are fiercely at odds. And so the album is half and half. And it's not their first foray into dark music. Um, Earlier on Sgt. Pepper's, one of the kind of odd inclusions is a song called Max... Or it's actually, I'm sorry, it's on Abbey Road. Um, There's an odd inclusion of a song called Maxwell's Silver Hammer about a serial killer. Jesus. Yeah. It's kind of perky. That's fucked up. Yeah. So it's a song about a serial killer that kills a bunch of people with hammers. And I like that one because it goes bang, bang. And that's what Ringo (laughs) does. (laughs) I'm Ringo. So I actually researched that song a little bit because I was like, to me, this is one of the darkest Beatles songs because it's literally murder. Um, I thought it was based on an actual murder that had happened in the UK. Turns out I was very wrong. Uh, It was something that Paul had written after listening to a bunch of other psychedelic music. And he and John fought over it for years. Eventually, uh, that was part of what broke up the band. (laughs) What? what, Like, how? What do you mean? Um, So, John wanted to do purely psychedelic, artistic kind of out of the box music he was more interested in being an innovator than being listenable mm-hmm. and paul was very much about being listenable and you can a hundred percent tell that from their careers after the beatles yeah one paul, dying and then one working with kanye well yeah that's true but one put out now john lennon did put out an album basically mm-hmm. before his death and it is largely experimental um paul's music has basically consistently been listenable and kind of similar his entire career Mm -hmm. um and then you've got george harrison in the mix who is full blown into the Hare krishnas at this point yikes but turns out some of the best songs believe it or not like george harrison was kind of a 
pretty awesome songwriter. And some of the songs that we all kind of really like off the White Album are George Harrison songs. Oh. Which one? Everyone forgets about Ringo. What did I do after the Beatles? <laughs> Let's see. Oh, George Harrison also in 1970, it's interesting to note, he put out um, an incredibly successful album that is literally in some songs devoted to the Hare Krishnas. It's a fantastic cult album that's not involved with this cult, but we should probably get to it at some point. Did you guys cover the Hare Krishnas already? Not yet. And we've covered some groups that touch the Krishna consciousness, but... Because they freak... Every time a Hare Krishna, like, has tried to speak to me, it's always a man who I feel like is definitely going to rape me. Like, it Mm. makes me so uncomfortable. Yeah. It's... There's, like, this creepy predatory vibe, and they scare me, and they're super aggressive, and I'm just like, why? So, here's something interesting to know. What about... What about... Back off, Boogaloo. I wrote that. I'm Ringo Starr. Great. Um, Savoy Truffle from the White Album, which is kind of a goofy song. But more notably, he wrote Within You, Without You from Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, which is one of the songs that Manson pulled from. Um, And then Here Comes the Sun, which is a song that everyone forgets is by the Beatles that's in a bunch of stuff. That's actually one of the only ones that I know by the Beatles. Yeah. Oh, he also wrote While My Guitar Gently Weeps, which is beautiful and covered amazingly by Jimi Hendrix at Mm -hmm. one point. See the love that's sleeping While my guitar gently weeps Um, So... You've got a bunch of important creative forces all fighting with each other. And then in the middle of it... It's sad, Ringo. Stop fighting! <laughs> Stop fighting, Mom and Dad! But in the middle of it, you've also got John deciding to bring his new artist mistress, Yoko Ono, into oh, the mix. Oh, she was his mistress? I thought she was his wife. She eventually was his wife. At this point, she's his mistress. Um, it gets bad. Um, does it, wait, does Paul McCartney, he had like a wife and stuff? Paul McCartney has been married a couple times. Yeah. You're talking about Paul McCartney or John Lennon? John Lennon has been married a couple times no, as I'm, well. No, I mean... But you. John Lennon is the one dating Yoko Ono. Oh. Yoko. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the recording sessions that went into the White Album got actually spread over a couple different Beatles albums. So there's not a ton of singles that come from the White Album that people know in their lexicon of like the most famous Beatles music, even though it's considered one of the best albums. Um, But from that same recording session, we get Sgt. Pepper's. And then we also get Hey Jude, which is crazy famous. Hey Jude, don't make it bad. Take a sad song and make it better. Remember to let her into your heart. Then you can start to make it better. That sounds like it was written by Ringo. Thank you. It wasn't. <laughs> well, it just sounds very simple. It's written to John Lennon's son. Yeah. Um, most of the songs on the album were written during um, 
a transcendental meditation retreat in March and April of 1968. So right around the time that Manson's kind of growing the family, the Beatles are at an ashram transcendentally meditating to write this album. So, and it's in uh, Rishikesh, India. So the group went for two months, meditated, and then they returned to Abbey Road Studios, which I have been to. Oh, I'm that level of nerd. Yeah. Uh, They returned to Abbey Road in London at the end of May and recorded through mid-October, releasing the album in November, which is a crazy quick turnaround for a two-disc album that's considered one of the best albums of all time. Yeah, for sure. It's pretty crazy. Um, Part of the reason the recording took so long from May to to October, um, and all they did was record, because they're the Beatles. It's not like, like when we think of people recording albums, they're like touring and doing other stuff in the middle. No. This is like closed doors for four months recording, doing nothing else. So you've got a lot of cabin fever going on, but it was essentially constant arguments. Constant arguments over creative differences. Um, But the main argument was over John Lennon bringing Yoko to the studio. I thought the main argument is when they couldn't decide over Quiznos or Subway. (laughs) Quiznos every time. I don't even know why this is a question. Mm, Toasty. Indeed. Um, So that broke with the Beatles policy for bringing wives and girlfriends. So the Beatles had had a long-standing policy of like wives and girlfriends don't come to the recording studio. This is just our time as a band. And instead, John insisted on bringing Yoko the entire time. Guys, you gotta understand. She's not a wife or a girlfriend. She's a mistress. So, uh, after a series of problems and so many arguments, the producer of the album took a sudden leave of absence and then came back. Uh, The engineer for the album suddenly quit. Ringo Starr left the band (laughs) briefly in August, causing... John and Paul to play most of his drum parts on the White Album. Yeah, see if you can do what Ringo does, baby. Yeah, they did. Most people don't even didn't even notice that Ringo wasn't really playing on the album. For oh, a lot of it. this isn't good for Ringo. So the same tensions continued through the following year. They put out. I said Abbey Road was before Sgt. Pepper's, but it's actually right after the White Album because it's the leftover recordings, essentially. Um, So the same tensions continued throughout the following year, leading to the breakup of the band in 1970, closely following the Manson murders. Yoko, oh no! Oh no! So a lot of people didn't necessarily like the White Album when it initially came out. It came out in a turbulent political and social climate, as we have established. Um, And a lot of people felt like the songs were kind of nonsensical and not important. Although... Since then, a lot of people have derived some more serious meaning from some of the songs. If you've ever seen the movie Across the Universe, Mm -hmm. they paint a lot of these songs as anti-Vietnam songs. Um, Although that may not have necessarily been the case at the time. But they are dark enough that that could be the thing. Okay. Um, it, It is currently, let's see, it reached number one on the charts both in the UK and the US. And it is currently ranked among one of the best albums of all time. Well, you know what they say. The Beatles were bigger than Gandhi. (laughs) Yeah. They were bigger than Buddha. (laughs) The Beatles were bigger than uh, Vishnu. Is that one? Is that a real thing? And Kali, yeah. Yeah. The Beatles were bigger than Vishnu. So, just a fun note. (laughs) 
So they didn't stay for the full of the Transcendental med Meditation Retreat. They were like, we're the Beatles and we're busy. Even though they'd written like 40 songs while they were there. Um, Ringo Starr was the first to leave. Uh, he left two weeks in because he, quote, could not stand the food. And as he wasn't one of the writers in the band, they were just like, yeah, whatever. Okay, bye. We'll see you when we get back. Um, I'm going to go get me a cheeseburger. <laughs> I was pro Subway. <laughs> uh, McCartney left next a couple months later. Um, but George Harrison and John Lennon were really interested in Indian religions and they remained through April. Um, so they already were kind of like doing their own things and fighting the whole time. Um, they wrote 40 songs while there. 26 would end up on the album. Um, a lot of them were recorded initially at George Harrison's home in Escher and then brought back to Abbey Road to kind of re-record if that makes sense um, you can also occasionally hear Yoko in the back on some she accompanies him on Abbey Road which is the next album but again huge reason for breaking up uh, to spite him uh, John McCartney or no whoa I know <laughs> to spite him uh, McCartney and Harrison brought their wives and girlfriends they should have called their group john mccartney when they broke up <laughs> so they just like packed the studio with like oh now everyone's bringing their wives and girlfriends do you see how nice it is john ringo brought his teddy bear oh <laughs> ringo's I, here too i brought this japanese body pillow <laughs> <laughs> oh, i brought my mum. she says i'm good looking uh <laughs> So My body pillow's name is Julia. She's <laughs> I'm, very kind. So Charles Manson first heard the album not long after it was released. Not surprising. He was basically living with record producers at the time. There's a possibility that he actually heard it before it even came out. Hmm. Potentially. Um, but he claimed to find hidden meanings in the songs from both earlier Beatles albums and this one. Um... Specifically for the White Album, he interpreted prophetic significance in several songs, including Blackbird, which is one of my favorite songs of all time. Blackbird singing in the dead of night Take these broken wings and learn to fly All your life You were only waiting for this moment to arrive. That's why I have a blackbird tattoo. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Uh, it's, I wondered. Yeah, my sister and I both really love blackbird. And so when we stand next to each other, the tattoos face. So they're on opposite sides. Oh, I thought it was a Dove logo. Yeah. From Dove. I thought you just I loved just Dove soap. I just love deodorant. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're blackbirds. Um, but Charles Manson took this to mean the African-American race in regards to a race war. Okay. Um, the lyrics to the song are Blackbird singing in the dead of night, take these broken wings and learn to fly. So he interpreted that to mean, hello, people of color, take up these societal angst that you have and learn to fly and overthrow your oppressors. I'll be honest, if, a, if any person learned how to fly, they would probably rule my life. <laughs> I mean, literally, if they learned how to fly, I'd be like, hello, new Jesus. <laughs> the other songs that he derived um, some significance from, uh, Piggies, 
which is kind of just a goofy song about pigs, but it says, there's a line in there that says, what they need is a damn good whacking. He took this to mean that the song was about the police and that they would be overthrown when the race war happens. They didn't use Ringo's line, which was, fuck the police coming straight from the underground. So the the TLDR of this is... Uh, band takes a lot of drugs, makes music. Man also on a lot of drugs, hears music, murders people. <laughs> right, and and the comparisons don't stop stop there. Obviously, the most famous one is Helter Skelter. That became what he referred to the race war as. Don't you mean Helter Skelter? Helter Skelter, which they misspell at one point during one of the murders. But Helter Skelter, which we played at the very beginning of the first episode of the series. Um, There's also Revolution 1 and even more famously Revolution 9. So Revolution 9 is famous for a number of reasons. Not only because Manson... Yeah, nine reasons. Nine. uh, Manson thought it drew parallels to the book of revelation in chapter nine and that it was their cue for the race war to happen um but also revolution nine was rumored to have satanic overtones inlaid into the song and that if you play it backwards you hear subliminal messages do we have an example of that yeah let me see if i can play it What is he saying when it's not backwards? Number nine, number nine. Um, it's it's kind of a weird, nonsensical, crazy song. It's not one of the more popular ones on the album. Um, it's largely famous because of the whole like, oh, if you play it backwards, you know, whatever. Um, and it plays into the conspiracy theory that Paul McCartney has been dead for a long time. Give me one second. It sounds straight terrifying. That's playing it forward. That's, is it forward? Oh. Yeah. Oh, no, that is backwards. That's so sinister. That's not it. Well, anything played backwards sounds sinister. That's the thing is, anything played backwards sounds sinister. Yeah, no matter what. Yeah. Um, And allegedly it was put there as a joke by the band. 
That's fair. Whatever. No, I'm gonna reverse that. Okay. See? I mean anything. All I said was that I love you guys and all of you are great. <laughs> See? Right there, all I said was my fans are amazing and all I want is your ears. Your listening ears. So it was while listening to this on a t- ton of LSD, <laughs> ton, that Manson kind of concocted his worldview and his belief that the race war was coming, that the African Americans would rise up and take over, and that he and his group needed to hide in the desert and wait until the dust cleared so that they could, quote, teach the African Americans how to lead, which is ridiculous. <laughs> And mad offensive. Yeah. But also pretty on par for what we should expect from Charlie at this point. That's Ye- fair. Yeah, it's the the idea that an entire race of people would rise up, defeat the oppressors, and then take advice from someone. Yeah, from <laughs> fucking Charles Manson. Yeah. He's like, I'm what? I got great ideas. And they're like, uh, no okay. Uh, excuse me. Have you eaten 42 pussies a day? <laughs> <laughs> I think I know what I'm talking about. The other thing, too, um... Go ahead. In Manson, in his own words, he actually claims that a lot of this is made up and that he basically was just like, yeah, I was just trying to tell him to whatever so we could get out to the desert. And, you know, I didn't really believe the race war. Like, he kind of backpedals on it almost in the way of like a guy making promises to a girl because he wants to see her again. You mean fuck her again. Exactly. What are you looking at me for? (laughs) Which is essentially what he was doing. It was just five to ten girls. <laughs> yeah. So it's at this point that they established themselves firmly in the desert with a crazy belief system about a race war, and that's where we'll pick them up next week. <gasps> What's do you get do you guys hear that in the distance? Turn me on, Cheddar. Turn me on, Cheddar. Turn me on, I think that's a bunch of Dune buggies! I don't know what dune buggies sound like. Me either. I've never seen one. (laughs) Well, they're going to factor in a lot that becomes their mode of transportation around the desert and also Charlie's favorite thing. Yeah. Well, it it makes sense. I mean, I will say they're smaller than regular cars, per se. And he's smaller than regular people. He is indeed. So it all Aww, just fits up. Tiny size. He's a tiny little dude. Aww. I mean, it just makes me think that Big Patty might have just like. <laughs> she might have just been regular Patty. Even regular Patty could have crushed him. Like if I, if it was me, if I was Big Patty, he wouldn't have survived. <laughs> Hell yeah. You cannot fit eleven women in a dune buggy, though. I mean, unless they're clowns. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> I love the idea that clowns don't uh, like the the time and space rules of the universe don't apply to clowns. <laughs> right, not at all. I love clowns. Get out of here, clowns. Ringo. I'm Ringo Starr. Go away, Ringo. Nobody wants you. You sound like that girl from that sketch that's like, "I can do anything. I'm a Hufflepuff. <laughs> I tried to open a jar. I cut my hand up real bad. I'm a Hufflepuff." <laughs> what the fuck is this sketch? My name is sewn into all of my clothes. <laughs> You just turned me off, dead man. Oh, I'm afraid of ghosts 
and sheets with holes in them <laughs> and regular sheets. Um, what the fuck? I want to see this sketch later. Thank you for humoring me and making letting me play a bunch of Meatles music for you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. I love it. If you want to hear me humor more things or be humorous, then you can uh, follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Mondo Does Stuff. That's M-A-N-D-O Does Stuff. All one word. Um, if you have an original pressing of Vince Guaraldi's Charlie Bound Christmas on vinyl, please let me know at Rampage Wesley on Instagram or Page Wesley on Twitter. I want one, and they're really hard to find, just saying. As a vinyl nerd. If you... Um own a lot of body pillows and are also <laughs> the drummer to a famous band that doesn't love you. Uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> please uh, just get at me at Sundress Comic, you know? Turn me on, alive woman. <laughs> <laughs> if you like this show for some reason, uh, follow us on Instagram at Colt Podcast. Yeah, it sounded like there was more, but there's not. At Cold Podcast. <laughs> uh, or on Twitter at Cold Podcast Show. Or you can send us an email and you can send us anything like a message, encouraging stuff. Somebody sent me a typo for something in the website that I got to fix, which was super nice of you. Thanks. Shouts out, dog. Um, then send that to coldpodcastshow at gmail.com. Or if you want to send us parts for a dune buggy. <gasps> yes! Or copies of the White Album. No. Yes. Or a giant wooden crate containing Ringo Starr. Yes. <laughs> yes. You can send that to 3756 West Avenue 40, Sweet K, number 237. Like, like the, the Shining. Shining. Los Angeles, California, 90065. And if you like our show, you want to learn more about it, you want to listen to the latest episode, you want to read our weekly blog post about stuff that we dived into a little bit on the show or things that are related to the show, then you can go to cultpodcastshow.com. And I think for this one, we're going to say don't, don't drink. <laughs> I mean, just like I know we said LSD last time. But it seems like again, right? Yeah, I feel like the whole theme of this like series of episodes is like, don't drink LSD. No. Don't Please smoke don't. LSD, guys. You don't smoke LSD. <laughs> don't talk to LDS. <laughs> that too. <laughs> oh, and don't drink the Kool-Aid. Bye. 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 Yeah. Hi, it's Ringo Starr. You forgot to put holes in this box when Get you sent me. Get out of here. Fuck you, Ringo. Kick. Go home. Why did you send me to cult podcast? <laughs>